Thank uh, Pastor Mark and his family. It was a great worship service today, and you feel the spirit of the Lord here, and that's what people need, because you can go into sterile environments where you don't feel anything, and uh, this, I, I really believe, and I've talked enough to your pastor that great days are ahead for you, and we're not talking about numbers. In fact, when I travel and, and do things, sometimes you go to a big church, 2,000 or whatever, 1,000 or more, and they've been that way forever. I'd rather be a part of a church that's growing. Uh, uh, we're helping a church in Green Bay now. Do you know Jerry Lewin? Do you know who he is? Uh, Jerry um, uh, used to pastor First Assembly there, and then he, he has a very successful sandwich shop, and he started a church in the back of the sandwich shop. And uh, then uh, we started another church in Green Bay, and I brought a friend of mine in. It's called Life Church. Sean Hennessy is his name. And, I mean, they've been there eight years, and they've, it's unbelievable. He just, he's the new Packer chaplain. they got all kinds of stuff going on. Not that's a big deal, but so this church that we moved out of that was relatively new, uh, uh, we put Jerry, we just gave Jerry the building to take it over, and, uh, and he's just a wonderful guy, and they probably have 100 people. Jan was teaching, my wife's teaching Sunday school there, to, uh, to three-year-olds today. My wife's 75. And so we're just, it's fun to help people in their process, no matter where you are, because God wants to do great things, and I'm just excited to serve the Lord. And I thank you again for the invitation, and uh, maybe you'll have me back again sometime. The, uh, I, was telling, I was telling you this morning about the high cost of resentment. Probably one of the most powerful messages that uh, I've ever preached, because when people can shake resentment in their life, it just frees them up. And... Uh, so let's pray. We're going to get moving. Now, uh, don't try to follow along in the book because uh, I'd have you here, you know, three hours. Not that I just want to hit the highlights and, and whet your appetite to how God could use you in ways you've never thought. And age is not a barrier. Uh, I, one of my former, actually, he's my son-in-law's father. <clears throat> His name is Gary Pierce, and he was my worship leader for 20 years. And uh, his son married my daughter. They were raised together. And uh, Gary uh, has had so many seizures. He's six, he just turned 60, and he's in a care home. He's in a rest home. His wife's a doctor, but he has to be in a care home because he needs constant medication and care from falling and stuff. And it, but he's mentally very sharp. Physically, he's been really impacted by, by this uh, terrible disease. And he is leading people to the Lord. And he, said, he sits at a table in this care home. And he said, they're on about the third round. People will come sit with him because they always sit him in the same place. And he's been leading them to Christ before they enter, you know. So whatever your situation is, whatever your age, health, it doesn't matter. God wants to use you, right? Father, we thank you today for this church. Lord, it's, a, it's in a, a visible location. It's a, it's a facility that has been put together now and is, is functioning. A pastor that has a heart for souls. He was a missionary. And the lost uh, grieve him. And Lord, we pray that there would be a group of people that would get a hold of what I'm going to talk about today. And that they would just say, you know what? I'm going to have a strategy for my family, for my neighborhood, and for my friends. And Lord, we just praise your name for it. And everybody said, amen. So we're going to look at, uh, uh, most of us know what a strategy is, right? So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. But... Uh, I told you this morning, I'm, I'm doing a new little thing. It's just pulling a bunch of my stuff together. It's totally new. The, 
Seven Highly Effective Habits of a Soul Winner. There was another book with that title that didn't have soul winning on it a number of years ago. But it's fascinating because I've got to teach the seminar at a thing in San Diego. I leave a week from tomorrow. But the, the essence is what, what is a habit? You know, sometimes we think of a habit not always in the positive way. So I got all of these definitions for a habit. And the one that grabbed me the most was it's something that you do continually that you don't even realize that you're doing it. And I think as I look at myself, that's how I approach my life. On every, every, it's just a habit to figure out ways to get people to ask me what's the deal with you or find them when they're needy. So that my strategy on life is when I look at people, I look at them not as, you know, what their status socially or economically or where they live. It's do they know the Lord? And I think if you can get that in your heart, Jesus looked over Jerusalem and he wept. He didn't wet, weep because it wasn't a nice city at that time. He wept because of the lostness. And I would challenge you, Pastor, maybe you've done this, just ride around, even though you've got people coming from outside of the Port Washington, just to ride around the town and say, God, we're reclaiming this place for you. We're going to get a, a group of our people to get it done. Now, it doesn't take that many. Uh, look at what they did in uh, the book of Acts after the day of Pentecost. They evangelized the, whole, the continent of Europe without rapid transit, without airplanes, without emails, without texts, without all of the stuff. And it was said about them, as we said this morning, they that have come here are turning the world right side up. And I believe that we can still do that until the day I die, whenever that we're going to be, I'm going to keep hammering that home. So we talk about having a strategy. Uh, all that, that, the key verse to this thing, it's on the back of your little book there, 1 Peter 3.15, always prepared to give an answer for the reason of the hope that is within you. And I want to tell you how impactful that is, that statement is. Uh, I told you I love Utah. I'm from Sturgeon Bay, Wisconsin. My mother was born on Washington Island. My dad was born in Elson Bay. So I do not have Utah roots, okay? But I pastored there years ago and had a tremendous love for the fact, and you'll appreciate this, Mark, one half of 1% of the population in Utah is Christian. Now, you can go to the darkest spots of Africa or other places and find a higher concentration of Christians, right? And that, that throws in, well, now it's maybe a percent now because there have been a lot of people moving in. But one of my dear friends, he's with the Lord now, his name was Perry Shaw. And Perry uh, was a teacher, a uh, professor at B BYU, wrote curriculum for the Mormon church. Now, if you really understand Mormonism, I'm not here to give you some big thing on Mormonism, but the women are, are second-class citizens. They're baby factories because the more babies they can have on this side, the bigger harem that they get in the hereafter in polygamy. So uh, when, he was, when he was a student at BYU, one of the assignments that they gave their students was to go to a non-Mormon service and ask the question, why do you think you're right? So Perry chose to go downtown Salt Lake. This is probably 55, 60 years ago. He went to a tent meeting, believe it or not, where someone, had, uh, uh, and, and, and on top of that, it was a woman evangelist. Now, you've got to realize, you see that thing, and they had the sawdust on the floor, and it was a long service. And uh, so after it was over, and after all the stuff was over, he said, I, seen, he said I was there hours. But I wanted to get, ask her the question. 
And so he went up to her after and said, I'm a, I'm a student at BYU, and I'm here to ask you why you think you're right. So she said to him, she quoted this scripture to him. And she said, Sonny, I have something inside me. I've got a hope in Jesus Christ that nothing can shake. I know when I die, I'm going to heaven. And see, he, and she went on for about 10 minutes. That haunted her, him, excuse me, for 25 years. And he gave his life to Christ. And so, you know, when you share, it, it isn't always that what you share might get results tomorrow. But there will results will come if you get involved in sharing. Now, she, he asked her, so she unloaded the question on him. And some of you maybe have read that uh, little book years ago. I wish I'd have written it, the, chair of the, the Prayer of Jabez. How many have ever? Okay, here it is. Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me and that you would keep me from evil that I may not cause pain. Enlarge my territories. So many people will take everything and turn it to a financial thing or a size thing, and that really is not what it's about. Now, the little book I brought, where uh, I said I tell the Nitschke story, and it's called The Favor Factor. Uh, Nehemiah was a slave. You know, the nation of Israel was like a yo-yo, up and down, up and down. And when <clears throat> they were down, these when they would be conquered, they would take the sharpest kids, bring them back. Actually, it would be like to Babylon, I believe. So he said, I became a cupbearer to the king. And what that really meant was that that was probably one of the top jobs because it, those ancient monarchs were constantly targets for poison and different things. And basically, he had to test all the food, test all the... Not only that, arrange for the whole thing. And he had become uh, well-compensated, probably had a place right next to the king. And... Uh, God put the lostness of his people on him. He could have said, look it, I'm here. I've done well. I was a slave. I don't care about that. I got a great life. Probably had a top-notch chariot and a driver and all that stuff. And he prayed this prayer. Oh, Lord, I pray that you might be attentive to the ear, to the prayer of your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name and let your servant prosper today. And one of the translations, give your servant favor today that I grant him mercy in the sight. He was going to Artaxerxes to ask to go back and rebuild the wall. And see, I believe the church today needs to have a mission of rebuilding the solid wall of Jesus Christ. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, to really, really live it. But we're, but we're sort of missing what God really wants us to do in many cases because we'll come and listen to good preachers, we'll come to nice buildings, and we build friendships which are all positive things. But really, what God wants us to do is to be aware. Aware is an interesting word. Uh, some of you, you know Dale Olquist? Dale was my assistant for 13 years. Now he's pastors a church in Fresno. But after I came back to Green Bay to start the church, Dale went and joined Tommy Barnett as their uh, college pastor in Phoenix. <laughs> and so I went down, we, my son and I went down to visit Dale and Joni and uh, he had a guy in his college group that taught uh, racing at Rick Bondurat's School of Racing. In fact, even all the race car drivers will go in there and get tweaked. So he wanted to show us around, and this guy took us in a, it was a Ford something or another on the track. And they don't, Fords don't even sell this car because they're all souped up. They do crazy things. So I get in the back seat. My son's in the front seat. 
and they're whipping around this track. I said, hey, let me out. I'm going to be blowing chunks here in a minute if you don't get me out of the car. Yikes. And, uh, and then, he, then he said uh, another thing that they do, which I never heard. He said, we teach driving to uh, teenagers before they get their license. It's quite expensive. We charge $1,000. But he said, if we could teach every kid in America we would eliminate about 90% of the accidents they get in. The reason is, not only people, but people are not aware of what's going on around them. And he talked about watching the rearview mirror, watching the sides, all this, being aware. And it really caught me that we need to be more of what, aware of what's going on around us. People you're bumping uh, shoulders with, people that live in your neighborhoods, you've got to really tune into what's going on in their life and really, really pray for them because that gives openings and opportunities to share your faith. Uh, this is a little tip, Mark, you might want to do this. I sent a sympathy card to everybody who died in Green Bay 50 years and under. And we had it printed up, uh, and, and most of them, you know, list their uh, name in the obituary in their church. We're praying for you and your congregation and the loss of your loved one. Congregation of, and I, and I signed them, I can remember signing just tons of these things, because a lot of people were dying there, even younger ones. One Sunday after church, we always met with the people that got saved. We had a special area for them, and there was a young couple. And uh, I had been sort of moaning and groaning about sending those cards out. You know, oh, gosh, this is just, it's, it's. well, this young couple, I, and I always ask people how they heard about our church. Because if you find a pattern, if someone invited me or maybe your sign or whatever it is. So I said to this guy, I said, well, how did you hear about us? And he said, uh, my wife and I are new to Green Bay. We came here. My wife was seven months pregnant. She had the baby. He lived like six hours, and he died. And he said, uh, we had a civil ceremony at the uh, funeral home, didn't know anybody. He said, we came home, opened the mailbox, and there was a card from you praying for us at the loss of our little one. And I did pray over each card. It wasn't just I was signing them like wild. They both got saved that day, became very vital in our church. You see, because when people have lost in their lives, things they can't understand, all of a sudden... They want to know what's going on. So you got to be aware of that kind of thing. So I want to, I really want you to, uh, and then I could, there's so much in the book, uh, but so many of us are on cruise control. When we go to Utah, we always drive through Wyoming, and uh, it's right on I-80 as we're heading there. We were coming out of Laramie, Wyoming a few years back, and they have this sign over the road, turn off your cruise control because conditions might warrant it. Well, the point is, I guess if you have your cruise control on, you hit a slippery thing, it's dangerous. But my, what the Lord spoke to me is so many Christians are on cruise control. They're just cruising right through, and they're not seeing what's going on around them. So I want to encourage you, just one of the prayer things that you can do is to say, Lord, I really want to be strong and be aware of what's going, aware of what's going on in my neighborhood, aware of things that would help. So we're going to divide this. We're going to first talk about how do you reach your family for Christ. And I've got a lot of introductory material here that will just sort of set you up biblically to say, yeah, I really need to do this. And, and uh, as I told you, I travel a lot. My wife is trying to get me to cut back because she doesn't like to be left alone. And she, uh, <clears throat> she doesn't like to fly. She's not that she's frightened, but she's claustrophobic. Uh, and then there's a scripture she claims, lo, I am with you always. Lo. <laughs> So many times I, I have to go by myself, and she wants me to stick around, and uh, we just celebrated. Joel and Rosie celebrated their anniversary, and we celebrated with them. We've been married 52 years, and um, 
It's a long time. And I, I, we had a great 25th wedding anniversary. I sent her 17 roses for the 17 good years that we'd had together. And uh, you know what marriage is work. Let's be faithful. Let's face it. You know, it's not all hearts and flowers and whoopee ding. It's, you know, it's, it's work to have a good marriage, right? But our family's important to us. I told you this morning, many of you might know uh, or heard of Nat Olson. He's with the Lord now. And he had this ministry family time. And it really, really caught. And it's uh, Acts 16, 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy household. Years ago, there was a little chorus we sang, every promise in the book is true, every chapter, every verse, every line. And maybe you've never said, we're standing on the word of God. This, I believe God lives and is there to complete his promises. And when I heard that particular scripture and, and in the context how Matt shared it, he had a radio broadcast and different things, I really started believing God for our family. And we have seen, and I'm going to tell you a few things as we go along, we have seen people come to the Lord in our family. Unbelievable. But it took time. Because when we first got saved, I mean, we were going to an Assemblies of God church and a Holy Rollers. Are you know what I mean? Hello. I've met a lot of holy people. Not too many rollers, though, but a lot of holy people. And when we got a lot of, uh, of uh, flack for it, we, we didn't go drink. We didn't do anything. And they made fun of us. They, they made, oh, you go to one of those churches, all they want is your money. Money, 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 money. You know, 10%. Shoot, I'm telling you, most of them sent, spent 20, 30% of their money in the taverns, and you couldn't deduct it. Are you with me? Now, how did, here's the important thing about praying. Uh, I came to Christ because uh, John Wilkerson uh, led my sister to the Lord. She was 23 years old, no, 20, yeah, 23 at the time, had two kids, was pregnant for the third child. And she had a little lump on her neck. This is back in 1966. We didn't have a, a a biopsy. Back then, they kept you in the hospital, and they biopsied it, came into her room, and said, you have Hodgkin's disease. I hope you live long enough to have that baby that you're pregnant for. In the other bed was a lady named Millie Scott from First Assembly of God Church in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and she had been moaning and groaning. She had some chronic illnesses. Why do I have to go to the hospital? Why do I have to go to the doctor again? Well, in that particular time she was there, she heard the diagnosis, and she said, I couldn't help but overhear what the doctor told you, and I'll pray for you. And she said, we pray for the sick at our church, and there's a guy coming named David Wilkerson that's going to preach at our church. So she came to church, got saved. She lived three years. In those three years, she brought over 200 people into First Assembly of God at the church, just sharing her testimony. She worked in the nursery, going to get a couple... But, but they basically, she died because of radiation treatments, and uh, she had the baby and all that stuff. And three months after she died, I gave my life to Christ. She led my parents to the Lord two days before she died. She had them kneel at her bedside, just ravaged by this disease and radiation. And uh, so I was asking my dad, this was, oh, probably a couple of years before he passed away. I said, I wonder, you know, because it says, pray for your family. Who prayed for us? And my dad said to me, he was raised in Elson Bay. If you know Door County at all, it's the last little stop before you hit Northport and head up to Washington Island. And she's, his father, my grandpa, was raised in a little Baptist church up in the North Woods there. And they were born again. And his grandmother, when he was a little boy, you know how back last night we kept our grandkids over. Our Jan would have been with me and she took him to church there. And... Uh, he said, I would, the walls were paper thin, 
And I would be laying on a little cot and visited grandma, six years old. And he said, I heard her praying, Lord, I pray for Arnold. Because he had married a Lutheran. She took him to the Lutheran church. And she, he said, it just popped up in my mind. And, you know, 35, 40 years later, you see how it works? So if you're praying for your family, you've got kids, you're praying for not serving God, don't give up. Don't give up. Never give up. And, and that Millie Scott sharing with my sister kicked off a, uh, a cascading news. Now, here's what you've got to do. There's a few things. It's in the book. Pray every day for your unsaved family. Now, I've got so many of them, I can't do it. There were 16 kids, as I told you this morning, in my grandmother's uh, uh, family. My mother was one of 16, and uh, I told you 169 grandchildren, great-grandchildren, great-great-whatever when I did her funeral. My brother had led her to Christ about three years before she died. And uh, so <clears throat> we have been praying for family. And I'll just give you this really quick story how it works. My mother's favorite brother was my Uncle Kelvin. Now, this is... Uh, my mother died a year and a half ago. She was 97, went to church, drove her car every day, lived alone, got sick on Wednesday, and went to be with the Lord on Saturday. What a great way to go. I did her memorial service, bless God, mom's home, you know what I mean? But her favorite brother was my Uncle Kelvin. Now, I'm going I'm to encourage you. Now, he was a Lutheran guy. He, he lived a pretty good life. He didn't do anything. But he had asbestosis. He had worked where there was that stuff. And so one day, any of you play cribbage, by the way? I'm, did you play cribbage? I have, to, I have to play. Do you play board position? Okay. Anybody here play board position, cribbage? I could beat you most of the time. I'll, I could teach you that if we had time. I do cribbage seminars too. I'm just kidding. But anyhow, so I, w- I went up to, uh, to, I said to my wife, I was in green. I said, I'm going to go up and play a game of cribbage with my mother and take her to lunch. This was well, 15 years ago or so. And uh, so I went up and we were playing cribbage. I said, how's Uncle Kelvin? She said, oh, Arnie, he's not good. Hospice is there and... Uh, so I said, let's go see him, because I had prayed for him for years. I mean, years. When I first heard Nat Olson share this, I wrote Uncle Kelvin's name down in one of my books and lists. So I went over to his house. My Aunt Lucille answers the door. <clears throat> Come in, and he's on a hospital bed in their family room. Walked over to the bed. Now, my Aunt Lucille was there, their only daughter, and she had had her first baby, and my mother and me. So go over to the bed, and I said, hi, Uncle Kelvin. How are you? And he, I'm not good, not good. He could barely talk. And I said, you know, Uncle Kevin, I know you're a church guy, but, you know, going to church isn't enough. You, you need to ask Jesus into your heart. Listen to this. I, I, I felt a little bit like the Ethiopian eunuch. We were on TV back then, tape delayed a week. And uh, he said, I watch you on TV, but what do you mean at the end about giving your life to Christ? I said, let me explain it to you. I, and so I explained it to him. I said, would you like to do that? He said, yeah. So we prayed the sinner's prayer. Now I look over my shoulder. His wife is sobbing. Can I do it too? Yes, you can do it too. The daughter's crying. Can I do it too? Prayed for her. Now, her husband is a little cooler than that. Well, I better do it too. So we prayed for him. And then I said, they had this little baby. I said, we don't baptize babies, but Uncle Kevin, would you like me? We dedicate him. Should we dedicate your little granddaughter here? Yeah, that'd be nice. So, prayed. That's on a Saturday. I go back. My mother's ecstatic. Her favorite brother is saved. I mean, she'd be static about any of them, but this was her favorite. So the next morning in church, uh, and she drove to Green Bay. She drove 40 miles to hear me every week. She, I was her son. You got to get that, you know. So anyhow, uh, I, we had uh, special parking for seniors, but she wouldn't park in it because she was too proud. I'm, I'm walking in, you know. But anyhow, so she comes in, and I could see she's been crying. I said, 
Mom, what's wrong? She said, Uncle Kelvin died at 2 o'clock this morning. See, God's not necessarily early, but he's never late. So it gets better than that. Monday, the phone rings, and they attended a Lutheran church in Sturgeon Bay that and, she, and with all of these family members, a lot of them have stuck around Dora County and Washington Island. She said, Arnie, would you do his funeral at your church because you see a lot more people? I said, oh, yeah, I'll be happy to do it. So a few days later, we had his funeral. 700 people at his funeral. Relatives, I mean, people I hadn't seen for years, cousins, aunts, and uncles, and third and fourth and grandkids and stuff. So I told him what happened to Uncle Kelvin. At the end of the service, I gave an altar call. I would bet three-quarters of their hands flew up, and I prayed the sinner's prayer with them. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved, and thy household. Do you get it? Now, that was an extraordinary thing, but we serve an extraordinary God. So you start praying. Don't ever give up because, you know, I've had people whose kids were living alternative lifestyles, and they kept praying, and God will come through. Prayer is important. Expect opposition, number two. You'll find it in your book there. Uh, you think the devil wants people saved? No. Does, do you think he wants you to, to share your faith? No. And, and actually, when you start thinking about it or you get in an environment, even when someone might ask you, there's this fear that comes over you. It's like, oh, you know, you got to push through that. Expect opposition. The devil does not want to see a revival, a massive move of God here in this region, this county. But God does, Right? And he can break through, and, but so many times when you get kicked back, you know, you, you, you do it. And even when our church started growing in Green Bay, we were brand X, and we bought our first 10 acres, and we were 16 months old. We built our first building, uh, just 12,000 square feet, but we had a building, and uh, we really were growing fast, and we started building more stuff and, uh, just to fit the people. And there was a rumor going around town that I took 10 guys out to the property and made them all give... $100,000 each. Now, I never thought about it. It wasn't a bad idea, but <laughs> didn't have it. Reggie White came to our church. Everybody thought Reggie wrote the big check and paid for everything we were doing. Not true. He tithed to his church down in Tennessee. The, the reality is, opposite, and they said stuff about me. One time they said, uh, my insurance guy was golfing with a, with a businessman. He said, oh, you go to that church. Man, the pastor lives on the water. Now, what that means is... You, you don't live on the water. That doesn't work. Next to the water, you know what I mean? That's views and all. It's expensive stuff. And he said, no, he doesn't. I, I, I have his insurance on his house. He lives in a neighborhood in a nice home, but a modest home. You see, and then we heard all kinds of stuff about me, stuff I couldn't even, you know, I couldn't even make up because they, the enemy did not like what we were believing God to see happen. Now, let me tell you, when we came to Green Bay, I told you earlier, there was, I think the largest church, maybe three, 350. Now there are churches that are, are prospering all over. Because you know what? You've got to believe God. You'll just be a facilitator for, for everybody else. You know, you start having multiple services and you've got to run in to get a seat. Not that that... It, it's just about souls, right? But people, they're going to say, oh, you go to that church. And probably you, you get some of that. And maybe some of it's deserved. Maybe, you know, sometimes in Pentecostal ser- services we do stuff that, you know... I, got, I have a little illustration on that. You know, I, I think you have to be careful. Uh, on, uh, we, had, we always had uh, special services where we prayed for people to get to baptism of the Holy Spirit. I believe in deliverance, right? And we did do it, but we didn't do it in front of people. We didn't do it, we did it in a, a private setting. We had, uh, 
Sunday nights, we didn't have Sunday night, but we had Sunday nights where we would we'd see tons of people get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But I mean, you start doing that stuff in front of someone that doesn't know what's going on, and it freaks them out. They're looking for the exits. You know what I mean? Now, a lot of that stuff was done sincerely in the past, but you know, we got to be wise. And I, I, this, uh, yeah, this is, you're all over age here. Uh, I, the illustration I use is, in a marriage, sex is great, right? Did you hear what I said? Yeah. Wouldn't you say so? Well, at least the pastor agrees. And, uh, <laughs> but it's not something you go do in your driveway to watch everybody watch. Just like certain intimacies with the Holy Spirit, you really, but we don't, we just got to keep on keeping on, right? But when opposition will come, but don't let that bother you. That's a good sign. If you're not getting any opposition, you're probably not doing much for the kingdom. Okay, the another thing you do is create an environment of worship to build boldness. Worship and praise is very important. And there, there's a whole thing. A lot of churches, you got to worship an hour, hour and a half, you know, and all that stuff. And I mean, if you're trying to reach people from the outside, I mean, a long Catholic mass is four, 50 minutes. And if you're trying to reach those people, they come in, you hit an hour, man, they're looking for the exit. What's going on here? Oh, they sing until you, they die here, you know. Now, here's, here, we, I encourage people to worship at home, worship in their car, but keep your eyes on the road, though. You don't, don't lift your hands or anything like that unless you have one of those cars that drives yourself. But I had a guy come up to me one time. He said, oh, Pastor, I love it here, and the worship is good, but you guys could go on another half an hour. Whoops, another half an hour or 40 minutes. I said, okay, I tell you what, though, we'll do that next Sunday, and I want you to work in the nursery. Ah. See what I mean? I mean, those people are out there dealing with crying babies and all kinds of stuff. And, I mean, we've got to be wise if we're going to grow. But you, you, worship's important. It plows the ground for your spirit. I mean, even you're reading the Bible at home, get some worship stuff playing. Get, just really allow to worship and say, God, you're going to break through, and you're going to break through my family, specific family, right? And then believe, the next thing is, five, believe in the depths of your heart that your family will come to Christ. I just believe, I believe, I believe from the depths of my heart that God's going to do it. And you know something about family. When I, I have another little book, and I, I've got really a bunch of these I'm reordering. It's, uh, and it's basically this, but in book form, Five Keys to Reaching Your Family for Christ. Uh, Rich Wilkerson had me on uh, some Christian television station down in Miami after I wrote it. And Rich has four kids. You, ever, you guys know who Rich Wilkerson is? Some of you might. Uh, so he asked me, he said, well, what, what do you think? I said, well, let me explain it this way. Rich, you've got four kids. All four of his kids saved, love God, okay? I got two kids. Uh, they love God, they're serving God, they're in ministry. But I said, let me illustrate this way, Rich. Let's say God, now God wouldn't do this. This is illustration, please, this, all right? I said, let if God came to me. Let's say your kids weren't saved, my kids weren't saved. God says, hey, Aaron, here's the deal. I'll, I'll, I'll see that your two kids accept me and serve me, but not riches. Now, if you, we know God doesn't do that, okay? But if he did... Who do you think I'd choose? I'd choose my kids. His can go to hell. I want my kids going to heaven. I sit. Now, it's terrible to say it. What I'm saying is there's something about family. You know, we can read in the paper about a tragedy. Somebody went in and shot a bunch of people as long, and we feel bad. But, man, it's, it's accelerated if it's your kid or someone else that's involved in that. So I put family. I want to see my family come to Christ. I don't want to see any of them go to hell. And now, in, in the books, there's things that you can do, little uh, Things like right after that it says, think. It's important to have support in your prayer time. I've got people pray with me. Uh, I've got a guy from Michigan, a pastor, calls me every Saturday and we pray together. 
It's important. So you, you, it'll give you those things where you can just read it, write down the things. If we tried to do all of that today, we'd never get that. So here's some things to consider. Delays to answer to prayers are not denials. That's in your notes, right? Now, I, I remember when we didn't have microwaves. I remember when it took an hour and 10 minutes to bake a potato. Now at about nine minutes, I'm standing before the microwave. Hurry up. You know what I mean? We always want instant this, instant gratification, instant, instant, instant. And you just got to say, okay, God, I'm doing my part. Delays are not denials. It was probably 30 years I prayed for Uncle Calvin. Look what happened. You see what I mean? And look at my great-great-grandma praying in that little farmhouse in Dora County for the little boy in the next room who was my dad, that, that he'd come to Jesus and that his family would serve the Lord. So you've you got to take encouragement because it's easy to get discouraged. You know, words do hurt. People are going to say stuff about you, right? Remember that old thing, sticks and stones may bake my bones, but words will never hurt me? That's a bunch of bark. I'd rather have someone hit me than say bad stuff about me. I, I wouldn't want either, but realistically, you know. Being faithful in your lifestyle. Your lifestyle speaks a thousand words. The Bible says we're an epistle written and read of men. And I've had so much time now to talk to my older relatives and the people that have watched us over the years. Like in our family, thank God, we haven't had any divorce. We've had solid stuff happen. We've, God's been good to us. And then they're dealing with kids who are just messed up and their lives are messed up and you know they'll sit in the tavern and cry in their beer you understand what i'm saying your lifestyle is so important uh, that you need to live that now your family is going to see more of that and observe more of that i'll give you a little tip what we do on thanksgiving uh, is we always have uh, a family member that we know are, are a family that doesn't serve the lord come come to our house then we, my wife, she's really into placemats and beautiful settings and the dishes. I don't get it. We buy dishes for one day in the year. We got Christmas dishes and Thanksgiving dishes and Easter dishes. And I'm thinking we could just use the same old Melmac. Oh, some of you remember Melmac? Yeah. It, it, a lot of you probably have never heard of it. But anyhow, so what we do then, we put things, and then before they come, we lay hands on the chair and say, oh, God. Uncle Bill and Aunt Mary are coming, and they're two kids, and we're believing God for them. Then, when we're done eating, we go around the table and say what we're thankful for. And we thank the Lord that we're serving Jesus. He's in our heart, leading our lives. I tell you, all of this stuff works. We do, we, we, when there's funerals, man, we are, we are Johnny on the spot. We're there to help. And uh, so you pray every day, and then uh, uh, as it Praise is the knock on the door of God's presence. It's just not a song service. I remember we used to call it a song service, but it really, really isn't. So what's our, and, and I give you a whole bunch of stuff there, but now I want to get down, okay, family. That's important, right? How many have unsaved family members? Let's stand up right where you are. Let's just do this. I want you just to come up with one. Now, Pastor Mark, you might want to do this sometime in the future, is on some Sunday, have, have write out as many as you can. Now, I'd have to throw a notebook on the, on the altar up here to get ours in there. And then just bring them forward and say, we're going to believe God and put them in a, in, a, in a 
something and just pray over them. But is there one, if you have one or two particular relatives, or maybe more that are on your mind, just, uh, let's just say them out loud right now. I'm going to say Todd. I, just go ahead. Just, I mean, it, it'll sound like we're speaking in tongues. Don't worry about that. Though. We're not, I can interpret it if I hear the name. But anyhow, and then you start believing. You put, you put a, nice, uh, a, a, a point on that. And, and don't, don't forget. You know, we, get in, we get on cruise control and our life goes on and all of a sudden our, that stuff fades to the back. So let's, I want to pray. Father, right now there are probably represented in this room, there are hundreds if not thousands maybe of relatives that don't know you. I pray, God, you'll spark something to happen. Lord, even if they live somewhere else, you'll, you'll put someone next door to them that's a believer, someone at work, someone that they'll meet in an airport or whatever, Lord, and you do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. I'll close with one last story on that, how important this is. Two stories. Uh, I told you my wife doesn't like to fly. We used to come to Door County on vacation. Door County, I, my wife loves it. Do you ever get up there at all? It's a nice place. And uh, we were pastoring in Oregon, and I, uh, we were on vacation, so we're, we're flying back out of Green Bay. Green Bay, Chicago, Chicago, Portland, Oregon. So it was a hot, muggy, sticky day. We have a few of those here. And uh, so we fly out of Green Bay, get on the plane in Chicago to fly to Portland. And we, he pulls back. We start taxiing out. And I was sitting toward the back. And I hear the stewardess, her little phone, beep, beep, beep. And uh, she hung up the phone. And I said, what was that about? And she said, well, with the humidity factors, we have to unload eight people because of the weight of the plane. And, you know, what? So I knew if I didn't volunteer, my wife would be running down the tarmac. So I volunteered to get off, and it was our two kids, me and Jan. We get four free tickets round trip. Jan doesn't fly much, but I do. <laughs> so uh, we're sitting there waiting to get on the next flight. There was like three or four flights from Chicago to Portland that afternoon. And I'm sitting up, you know, waiting to board the next flight. And I hear, the, well, we, you know, with that other plane and stuff, we're overloaded. We're going to have to unload some people. So I go up and say, we'll volunteer. <laughs> Four more free tickets. Now I got eight free round-trip tickets. But we had to get on the next plane because I was preaching on Sunday, but it split our family up. My wife got to sit with the two kids, but I had to sit with someone else. Toward the back of the plane, I'm sitting next to a guy, and whenever I'm on a plane, I try to figure out a way to, to open up a conversation, okay? And so I'm sitting next to this guy, and uh, I, uh, we take off. And I was, I'll never forget, I was preaching a series entitled Carry the Bread. And uh, I opened up my Bible. And I, I'm praying in my mind all the time. God, I always do this on planes. It's amazing the stuff I run into. And uh, I'm just about five minutes. And the guy said, can I interrupt you a minute? I said, sure, what's up? He said, what do you, what do, you do? I said, well, I'm an Assembly of God pastor in uh, Salem, Oregon. He said, oh, I had a sister that was Assembly of God. Now, I'm cynical enough to think maybe she went to another church. You know, that's not cynical, but that happens, right? And he, I said, what happened? He said, well, they were Filipinos. He said, uh, my sister worked for Marcos in the Philippines. And I said, oh, really, what'd she do? I was going to ask him if she took care of Imelda's shoes, but some of you might remember that they had a lot of shoes. And uh, she to he told me what she did, and I said, well, what happened? He said, she died two years ago. I said, oh, really? Was she old? He said, no, no, she was in her 40s. And uh, I said, what'd she die of? Hodgkin's disease. My sister died of Hodgkin's disease. Now the door is coming open, right? So I said to him, I had a sister that died of Hodgkin's disease. 
And, uh, uh, he, and he told me that. She went to an Assembly of God church in the Philippines. I said, what kind of church do you go to? He said, I'm Catholic. I said, oh, really? I said, did she ever tell you what happened to her, why she left? Because there's a lot of Catholics in the Philippines, too. Why she went to... He said, well, sort of. He leans down, pulls out his briefcase, opens his briefcase up, and he's got a letter to him from the sister who's dead. His name was John, and went on and said, John, we were raised in a Catholic church. Our parents were faithful to take us to Catholic schools, but that's not enough. You've got to give your life to Jesus Christ. I'm probably going to die, but I know where I'm going. And if you'll just pray this prayer, she'd, she'd handwritten out the sinner's prayer. I said, have you done that? He starts crying. Oh, I haven't, but I want to. So right there on the plane, I lead him to Christ. I give him information on an Assembly of God church in the Chicago area because that's where he worked. But here, listen to this. A heavy airplane, eight free tickets, separates our family to get next to a guy whose wife, our, our sister, died of the same thing that I died. Are you there? Is that an accident? No. You see, God, that's the kind of God we serve. See, that she's dead in heaven, and a prayer is being answered on an airplane on the way from Chicago to Portland, Oregon. You can't tell me we don't serve an exciting God. Amen? So don't you give up praying. We're going we're gonna to move to the neighborhood, but i got to tell you this story about my nephew. My sister who died had three kids, two girls and a boy. Her son, Todd, lived the homosexual lifestyle. He was a pharmacist. He owned a pharmacy in Atlanta that dealt with drugs specifically to AIDS-related stuff. And I had prayed for Todd for years. And sometimes when people are living an alternative lifestyle like that, we think, oh, man, you know, I mean, they, and, but I kept praying for him. So one day my mother called me a number of years ago, and she said that Todd moved back to Appleton, and he's, he's working at Shopco as a pharmacist. And then she said, guess what? He's coming to church with me on Sunday. She's so excited because she knew what was going on. And uh, so she brings him to church. Or he met her in church. I saw him come in, sit in the back. When I gave the altar call, hand goes up. After the service, I said, Todd, can, can we get together? So I drove down to Appleton for breakfast the next morning. Sat down. I said, what happened, Todd? He said, well, my partner and I were in South Beach in a hotel, and they had a pool on the top of this hotel we were staying in. And he said, I was standing looking out at the ocean, and I looked down at the sidewalk, and something said, your life is worthless. Why don't you jump? He said, I pushed back. Like something pushed me back. He said, I felt a presence pushing me back. And he went to my partner and said, buy me out of the pharmacy. I'm moving back to Wisconsin. Moved back to Wisconsin. He said, Arnie, I watched you on TV for the last month and a half. And, he, and I want to serve the Lord. Uh, you know, he said, I still fight these feelings. You know, you can fight a lot of feelings. You don't have to act on them, right? Man, you talk about, when I drove back, because when my sister died, she told my parents, I just hope my kids serve the Lord. I've led both of the girls to the Lord. They're serving God today, active. One of them's active in Jerry uh, Brooks Church down there. One of them's active in Life Church in Green Bay. You see, God, I mean, this, I mean, when I rode back that 35 miles, I'm thinking, man, if my sister got to look over and see what happened, oh, well, praise God. You see, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved, and thy household, right? Okay, let's move to the neighborhood. I love that neighborhood. How can you reach your neighbors for Christ? See, most people today, now it's probably different here, but in a lot of areas, and maybe here, people don't really know our neighbors like we used to. Well, I mean, maybe we know the ones right, left, but do we know the rest of them? 
Uh, when we were in Green Bay, because I applied these principles, we moved three times. And it wasn't because the church was bigger and I was making more money. That wasn't it at all. We literally, within about an eight-block area, I totally, now they didn't all get saved, but a bunch of them did. We evangelized our neighborhood. How did I do it? Did I knock on doors and say, I got, I'm starting a church here, I need you? No. I'm starting a church here, and I know you're Catholic, you're probably going to hell. I was a Lutheran, and I wasn't saved, and I was active. No, none of that. Prayer walked our neighborhood. I, I, uh, well, I was a jogger then. Now I walk. I quit jogging because I thought there'd be a diminishing law of returns, and my knees would break. But uh, So we, we walked the neighborhood and prayed. Then we figured out how. I figured out how I could reach them. And then I started taking walks when people were out cutting their lawns, doing different things, and just people are... Well, that's, oh, you know, you just make an opportunity. Hi, my name's Arnie Jacobson. I didn't say, and I pastor this church. Just, we worked on all of that stuff. Then we put together a plan. We watched when people were pregnant. Now, it wasn't that we're freaky or anything like that. But my wife, we'd go buy a bunch of baby gifts. She's really, she can get the best deals ever. And then whenever a baby was born and we knew about it or I saw it in the paper, we'd knock on the door and here's what we do. We'd say, we have a gift for your child. Well, thank you very much. Why are you doing that? Well, we just want to be good neighbors. And we also know when you have children, it, I mean, you have a baby, it changes your life a little bit. You know, you sleep, everything. You know what I mean? Until you, know, until you get them potty trained, it's a lot of work. And then it gets more work, like W.C. Fields said about teenagers. Put them in a barrel, feed them, and let them out when they're 18. But, uh, <laughs> the, and you'd be surprised. Most of the, I would say, 50% of the people that we gave baby gifts to, then what we, we went a step further. We said, look, and if you and your husband want to go out uh, some night, we'll, we'll watch your kids for free. And by then they knew who I was. That wasn't a pedophile or something, wanting to molest their kids. And so we did stuff like that. Random acts of kindness. Um, I'm a real grass guy, not the kind you smoke. But I have the best grass in the neighborhood. We live, there's 97 houses. It's a new neighborhood in Green Bay. If you want to, I tell you, what road to turn in off of Huron Road, find the nicest lawn, knock on the door. It's our house. I cut my grass twice a week. I fertilize it every two weeks. I've got a sprinkler system. My, my sister-in-law was over, and she said, you ought to be the grounds creeper for the Green Bay Packers. My gosh, this looked perfect. There, you, couldn't, you couldn't see a weed. I'm crazy. But you know, when I was in, in Utah, uh, it's starting to happen a little bit in Green Bay, but people walk by, what, what, and, and I walked, and you did, did the same thing. I said, they said, what do you do to your grass? You know? So I said, I'll tell you. I'll show you. And I make a, a friend. We've got at least three families in, our, in my son's church in Salt Lake City that I picked up off our grass. Not literally at picking them up off the grass. But, you know, I mean, it's just, you know, and if, if you're a Christian, keep, if it's humble, keep it clean, cut your grass so you don't look like a slob, okay? You know? I remember David Crabtree, remember Crabtree? He, his, he said this, I'll never forget, he said, you can be small, but you must be excellent. His mother, when they were pastoring a little church in Bangor, Maine, used to give a bar of soap and a washcloth to people who came in that smelled and said, honey, you can be poor, but you must be clean. You know what I mean? <laughs> Are you there? So th- the reality is <laughs> how to reach your neighbors for Christ. So in Green Bay, we moved three times in the 15 and a half years. And we, there are people going to that church today that we, we I, I would, especially in my early morning walks, I'd stop in front and I'd say, oh, Lord, these people need the Lord, man. You know, they need the Lord. And, Lord, open a door for me to share with them. 
And see, I did, I did that stuff cons- consistently. When I drive into my neighborhood, I say, Lord, man, there's so many people here that don't know the Lord. Help them. Help them. Make me an instrument. Uh, I would snow blow people's driveways for them. And if they were sick, I'd cut their grass. And see, what was shocking to them after we became somewhat visible in Green Bay, they say, why are you doing that? I just want to be nice to you. Just want to be nice. And then you'd be surprised. Now, I got my, my next door neighbor. He's, I mentioned him this morning. He was mad at God because he came home from Vietnam. His wife was pregnant. Uh, and the Catholic hospital wouldn't deliver it because he didn't have insurance. And I'm, how can I get this guy, man? And he can fix a broken light bulb. I can't even screw a screw in straight. So he's sort of like my handyman, but we're, we're friends. We do stuff. I actually clean up his front yard. I live in the neighborhood where they cut your grass, shovel your snow. I won't let him touch my grass. I'm the only one in 97 house cuts his own. And uh, I'm a prolific window washer. And our houses in our neighborhood, uh, most of them are single story, and I'm tall, so I can reach, okay? So I wash my windows. This is three weeks ago, I'm washing my windows, and I'm making the turn, and he's over here. And I said, hey, Dennis, let me wash your windows. And he said, oh, Arnie, you don't have to do that. And his wife's on the patio, she said, let him do it. You know. <laughs> so I washed her windows, and we were done, and she handed me a, a glass of uh, iced tea, and she said, you're an angel. No, I'm not an angel, but I tell you what I am. Dennis is now serving the Lord. He's new on his walk for Christ. Washing his windows. Are you with me? You know, I mean, you can reach your neighborhood by prayer, doing random acts of kindness, and when they're sick, be the first to help. That's where the LDS people, man, I'm telling Mormons, the best place in America to break down. They'll put you up. They'll take care of you. If you need gas, they'll give you gas. Because now, they're works-oriented. That's how they feel. They're works-oriented. The Bible says, not of works, lest any man should boast. But it doesn't say you shouldn't do works, right? So you can reach your neighborhood. I'll tell you one exciting story about reaching your neighborhood. Uh, And I've got a lot of them. But this particular one was interesting. My son starts this new church in Salt Lake, and it's really doing well. But uh, so I'm trying to pick off the neighbors. In fact, the Mormon bishop uh, in Salt Lake, every square mile, there's one or two Mormon wards. That's what they call their churches. Now, advertising why I don't know if I'd call my church a ward. You know, come to our ward. It sounds like prison or something. But anyhow, uh, so the, the genius behind that is they can walk to church, right? It's, the weather's nice. The weather's nice out there a lot. But they, they don't have a choice. I mean, if you didn't want to go to that ward and you're a Mormon, you can't go somewhere else. So, but what it does, though, everybody in the neighborhood goes to the same church within a square mile, or there's, if there's two of them that way, depending upon the density of the neighborhood. You know what the Mormon bishop told me? He said, Arnie, you're beating me to the draw, and the new people moving in. The guy living across the street, his name is Jeff. And um, his, his wife was Miss Utah 14 years ago. Her name is Kelly. And she's the Fox News anchor in Salt Lake City. And she's really a good-looking lady, you know. I mean, right? Are you there? I mean, there's nothing wrong with saying she's good looking. You just don't lust. <laughs> Kelly's sweet. Jeff, everybody in the neighborhood said, Jeff's a jerk. 
I mean, if you, uh, he's got two little kids, and he's just uh, miserable. So my, even my son, who lived in our neighborhood, says, Dad, he's a jerk, man. He's yelling at the kids, blah, blah, blah. We keep a refrigerator full of these, uh, lick, these popsicles you get at Walmart. You pop them open. We got it all the time. We're, I'm feeding kids. I still play football. The kids in our neighborhood would come and get me. Can Arnie come out and play? You know, I mean, seriously. Uh, and... Uh, <clears throat> So I was just nice to him. I was nice to Jeff. I'd walk by, and he'd be in his driveway, cutting his grass. Hey, Jeff, how's it going? Everybody says he's a jerk. My thing was, I'm going to de-jerk the jerk. And uh, (laughs) after about six or seven months of being nice to him, one day I was getting my mail, and I'm walking back. And he said, hey, Arnie, can I talk to you a minute? What's the deal with you? He said, well, you, you always have a good attitude. You seem happy. And he said, I'm miserable. I don't have any friends. I'm from Minnesota. And he was a Viking fan, Evil Kingdom. I mean, he had a bunch of strikes against him, you know what I mean? And uh, uh, so I, uh, I told him. I led him to the Lord in the driveway. Kelly came out. She accepted Christ. They're very vital in the church today. But grab this. Anytime we were doing anything at the church, she would feature us. When I wrote The High Cost of Resentment, she had me on. We talked about it. I said, anybody comes to City Church this next week, gets a free, I, I, we got like, 20 visiting families just and gave them books. You with me? You see what happens. But it took a while. Then come to find out I had a Bible study. He's a beautiful wife. And we did the Bible study by Larry Stockstill. You know Larry who he is? And uh, the first session in there was on how people are hooked on pornography, especially men. And we're done with it. He said, can you guys pray for me? I'm hooked on pornography. And I mean, he's got a beautiful wife, very visible wife. And we prayed him through. We de-jerked him. We got it taken care of just because I, I just went out of my way to be nice. This has nothing to do with worship or church services or anything. It's being nice to people in your neighborhood. Anybody can do that. I'll tell you, this is, we did this in Green Bay. I don't know. I, I think they might still be doing it. We have what was called a, uh, a moving uh, ministry, moving vans. Anybody in their neighborhood saw a moving van, they would go over to the people especially the ones that didn't have a special moving truck coming. We said, hey, look, we got a group of guys that will help you unload your truck. And we got girls that went through this babysitting class that will babysit your kids. And, uh, and then we brought them a meal. And, oh, by the way, we have a church. You're going to look for a new doctor, church, church, whatever. And we had a little DVD with some stuff about our church. We picked up a lot of people just spotting moving trucks. And, and, and being nice to them. So we had these neighborhood things doing. Then we didn't, we were used to do big church picnics. Then we broke them into small church picnics and we had our people do neighborhood picnics. Set up neighborhood picnics. People, you know, people, even grumpy people like to eat. And most of us like to eat too much. I had Ray's soup today. I think I'm going to go back for seconds when it's over today. But the point is, there's so many things you can do. What is this? Have? Is this hard? Is this difficult? It's stuff that can get you involved in people's lives. And they're going to hell. They're going to Christless graves if they don't come to know Christ. So other things you can do is, is just simply, you know, and, and the Bible says, he that winneth souls is wise. And let me just tell you, here's the deal with me, real quick. I mentioned a little bit this morning. I was the shyest kid in our family. When I'd have to give a speech in high school, I couldn't sleep the night before. I would sit in the back or wherever I was sitting, and I was just nervous as a cat and fumble around. 
But you know, I, when I found the Lord, I thought, you know what, I was always a little funny. I have a, you know, I can see the funny and stuff. Other than that, I was shy, withdrawn. But you see, when God comes in your life and you begin to see the fact that I want to reach lost people, God can take you. I have a little book of epitaphs. In England, uh, what they put on your tombstone, you're, not probably so much now, but in, in uh, late in this century, early in the past centuries, they were really crafty on what they put on their tombstones, some distinguishing feature of their life. And I had all these things. Listen, I came across one one day I loved it. I can't even remember the guy's name, but here was his epitaph. He did what he couldn't. Think about that a minute. See, a lot of you don't think you can do this. But this guy said he did what he couldn't. I was just at our 55th class reunion. And uh, a couple weeks before that, I went to lunch with one of my old classmates who hadn't been around him. You know what he said to me? He said, Arnie, and some of them around, and they were looking at me from a distance saying, is, is that Arnie? Can that really be Arnie that's doing what he, what? you know what I mean? You see, but I was able to turn it back and give the credit to the Lord. One of my high school teammates, he's got uh, uh, COPD, and he went to Madison, and he needs a lung transplant. He's a wealthy guy, but he, it's, so he said, Arnie, I'm going to Florida and I'm going to see if I can get approved down there. So I'll, I said, Dennis, I'll pray for you. And uh, uh, so I got home. I emailed him, and he emailed me back. He said, I was so touched, Arnie. And, and when I, he said, I'm let, you know, so I just got an email from the other day. He said, they approved me in Florida. I want to get together with you. What am I going to do? I'm going to go for the order. I mean, that's sales. Ray would know what that is, going for the order, you know, signing the deal. And so you've got to just, and now I, I pray for Dennis almost every day. I, I, it, you see, here's, this is what will build the work of God. Get people doing that. And you know what? You'll get so excited about it. You'll be thrilled about it. My wife, Jan, Joel's sister, uh, we did, and we, we'll do this every year, she, we, she makes gingerbread houses. You know, she gets the stuff, and she pastes them all together. In fact, she's working on them now because she's got one coming up in December. And now I'm not pastoring. What we do is we randomly invite ladies to bring their daughter to a gingerbread party at our house, all right? And she makes the greatest lasagna, it has this whole thing and salad, and these ladies and their kids sit around our house making gingerbread houses. And we always have people there that don't know the Lord. And every one of them say, you know, Jan, we hardly know you. Why are you doing this? Hello? You see, how, I mean, maybe, you know what I mean? It's not hard. It's not difficult. And when we did those in Utah, we had had uh, Kelly, who was Jeff's wife, prior to that day at the driveway, come over with her little daughter. And I just got a, uh, a thing from her on Facebook. Oh, Pastor Arnie, you're coming to preach in November. We can't wait to see you. Because I was nice to her jerk husband. You, you know what I mean? And that's how, that's how you get a hold of your neighborhood. You should go home today and drive through that neighborhood if you live in a neighborhood and say, God, we're going to see these people come to you. I'm going to be there when they're hurting, and I'm going to be there. I'm going to do nice things for them. And that doesn't mean you have to carry a big Bible under your arms or quote any scriptures or anything. You can reach your, and you'll come up with creative thoughts. So 
reaching your neighborhood for Christ. I mean, now that's why I wanted you to get the book because so much other stuff. I'm just hitting some high points here. I love this one, your workplace. If you're still working. We, I did a series of messages entitled uh, Three Messages, How to Make Your Work Work for You. That was the messages. I preached them in our church there. I started out this way. I, uh, I called a bunch of businesses. Mark, you could do this. Just call them and say, hey, uh, I pastor a local church, and I wanna, uh, I'm doing a thing about we want our workers to be the best. Would you give me 10 minutes of your time and tell me the things that you're looking for in people who uh, work for you? You'd be surprised. Yeah, they say, well, I got a few minutes here. And if they said, well, I don't have time for that, I didn't push it. So I went out and I interviewed five different business owners in Green Bay and went in and said, I don't want to take a lot of your time. I'm doing a series of messages because we want the people who attend our church to be your best workers. And from your perspective as an owner or a manager, what are you looking for? I got my little pen and pencil. Most of them be there on time. Most of them uh, work hard. Most of, you know, all of these kinds of factors uh, be a team player, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, they said, uh, you're, t- you're preaching this at a church? I said, yeah. Two of those business owners are now vitally involved in our church because they came to hear me preach it and got saved. Uh, you understand what I'm talking about? Not hard. Let me quickly tell you, one, this, you'll love this, and this doesn't happen often, but I got saved in January of 1967. My father-in-law worked at J.I. Case in Racine. That's the one who thought I wasn't good enough for his daughter. But he changed his mind later on, you know, after the, all the dust settled. So I, get, I had been selling cookware door to door. I wasn't very good at it, wherever. But then I got good at it when I got in Bible college. I had 17 guys working for me selling cookware. I made more money in Bible college than I did the first 10 years of ministry. But anyhow, so I get this job as a technical clerk before computers at J.I. Case Company in Racine, Wisconsin. I was doing is I was doing change orders on tractor parts when they changed a generator or whatever they changed, spark plugs or exhaust systems or whatever. And, uh, <clears throat> and so the guy that had the job before me was working 10 hours a day and Saturday. And it didn't take me long when I was on the job to realize that guy was milking the job. You know what I mean? When I said milking the job, I figured it out. And by the time I figured it out, after about two months there, I was done in a half a day. So I went to the boss, Irv Sheriff, and said, Irv, I need more work to do. Some of the guys that worked around me, we were in these little pods, uh, said, slow it down, Arnie. I said, I can't. And that was an opportunity for me to say to him, you know what? I gave my life, I was pretty rough, rough then. I gave my life to Christ. That's why I'm doing this, man. I want to be the best I can for Jesus. You know, I was, I was kicking down some doors I probably shouldn't have kicked down. But anyhow, so Irv gave me more work to do. Well, then, after dating Jan nine months, uh, uh, we, I moved fast. <laughs> and, uh, so we, we get engaged, and then I'm at a, a church service with a guy named Lauren Cunningham who started Youth with a Mission. And I hear this voice, Arnie, I've called you to preach the gospel. I actually turned around to look behind me to see if someone was talking to me. But it was a definite word from God. So we went over to, after church, we went over to, to Jan's house, and I said, man, I, I, and I told him, my mother-in-law, Alice, she was, Phew. Oh, Arnie, man, I knew it all along. You're cut out for this stuff. I said, okay, okay, Bob. And uh, <clears throat> so and I said, well, Carl, that's my father-in-law, 
I'm going to have to go to work tomorrow and tell them because I was going to go off to Bible college. This was in September, a little early September. I'm going to have to go up. I'm going to Bible college. I went to Central Bible College. You went to North Central? Central. You went, oh, that's right. Yes. We don't have a school anymore. For the evangelism. But anyhow, uh, so <laughs> I go into, uh, and my father-in-law says, Arnie, look, they really like you here. He, he worked at another level, and he'd been there for years. And he said, instead of just up and quitting, he said, ask him for a ridiculous raise. That'll get you out the door, okay? See, I'm talking about being the best you can be at work. So I'm driving into work today, and I, I said, Carl, what's ridiculous? He said, 20%. They'll never give you 20%. They'll just say, hey, go find a job somewhere else. So I'm driving into work, and I'm thinking, you know, I know they like me pretty much. I'm actually doing twice as much or more. So I didn't want to have to deal with telling them, because Carl, did, you know, so I go in and I sit down with Irv and I say, Irv, look at, and Jan had been working there because she was just out of CBC and waiting to see what was going to happen in her life. She was working in the print room. And um, <laughs> so I said, Irv, look, and I'm getting married. And, oh, yeah, Pavias are great. Jan's beautiful. You're really lucky. He said, what, what can I do for you? I said, I want to raise. He said, well, you've been here nine months. He said, we, re- we review at a year. And let me just tell you, you're really going to do well. I'm just telling you right now. I said, I can't wait that long. He said, well, what are you thinking? I said, I want twice as much money. I thought, you know. <laughs> so he looked at me and said, you got guts. And uh, he said, let me take it upstairs. Uh. <laughs> so about 3 in the afternoon, he calls me back to his office. And he said, Arnie, we want to keep you here. We'll pay for the rest of you finishing college, and we'll double your salary to keep you. Then I had to tell him the truth. My father-in-law about had a stroke when I told him what happened. Now, I don't think that's going to happen on every level. But when I preached a series of messages in Green Bay, we had guys that got raises. They, they, they were hard workers. They worked harder. I got a call from the St. Vincent's Hospital. It's the tallest building in Green Bay. It's like nine stories. It's a hospital. I get a call from the CEO of the hospital, and he said, hey, you got a bunch of people in your church working here. And he said, they were good workers before, but man, they're really going unbelievable now. He said, I've asked a few of them, what happened to you? And he said, well, our pastor preached on this. So then he says, hey, I'm going to bring in all of our leaders. We'll pay you 500 bucks. Will you come and talk to our leaders for an hour and a half on, on work ethic? Hallelujah. I went in, took their 500 bucks, of course. And I'd have done it for free. I didn't tell him that, though. And we picked up some people out of that. Because people started not milking the job. We got to be the best that we could be. We're Christ followers. Can I get an amen from the congregation? And, I, and, and so you just have to, and it's the same way with, uh, uh, you know, Joseph. Look at Joseph. Pitted, I got a three-part sermon I preached on him. Pitted, potted, and putted. Pitted, throw in a pit, put in potted for sauce, and put in charge of Egypt. But anyhow, uh, you know, he worked in a rough environment. And he was running the whole show there. And Mrs. Potiphar wanted to get him into the boudoir. You know, the boudoir is just the bedroom. You know, I, did you ever think of, I think of crazy things. You probably, probably figured that out. Oh, they slept together. Sleeping isn't the problem. Did you ever think of that? Oh, well, I just sort of... <laughs> So you could reach your neighborhood, can't you? You can reach your workplace. Now, let me just tell you, I mentioned this this morning. 
when we got this really ingrained, now I've lived it, and you know what? I live it, and I hope Mark's picking up a few things that he can personally use. But when it begins to happen, you know, people would come into our church, we always asked them if they were visitors, how'd you hear about us? A lot of times they would say, well, I, I met your pastor on a plane, or I lived in your neighborhood, and, and he snowballed my driveway three times, and I couldn't believe he did it. I just had to come and see what was going on here, whatever. But you see, leaders and people who love God, and I, my assumption is most of you in this room are leaders, or you, or you would have gone home to watch some football team play. But the, the point is this. When this starts to percolate, people will come. And anything in the past that's been a negative all of a sudden becomes a positive. And you know, we, I've not got a church to do it yet, but I talked to Jerry about us doing a little uh, uh, pre-church fry in the parking lot. You know, you know, come in church gate with us. You know what I mean? Now, the, the, and like I say, I've got all this stuff. And I, and I actually have, it's on, some of it's online too if you want to see it. But then also, how do you reach your church? Now, when, you, when this starts happening, a lot of, now, I, like I told you, um, do you, go, do you uh, now I moved you. Do, most of you have a, your favorite spot you sit in in the church. In fact, it, actually, when you sit down, it sort of conforms to your backside. It's so, it misses you if you don't show up. You know, someone else sit there. This is uncomfortable, you know, different makeups. <laughs> You got hope that you, you, you don't get mad at me. Uh, but we've got to be on the watch at church. You know, why do people visit? Sometimes they're just looking for a place. About 50% of people who visit church, it's a last-ditch effort for them. It's, you know, maybe that church that I thought was crazy has the answer for me. And they come. And you're sitting with your same group of friends, talking to the same people in the foyer, sitting in the cafe with your same old buddies. And it's great to have Christian friends. It's great to do things together as Christians, right? But man, you've got to break out. Uh, this church in Salt Lake City, where I, uh, it's an Assembly of God church, where I preach often, the pastor just retired. Jim Ayers, did you know Jim? Jim went to CBC. Uh, they always wear, it, it's, it's a church over 1,000, but they always wear name takes. There's something nice about knowing people. I was shaking hands and saying, hi, Dave. where's David? He's sitting right there. You know. uh, oh, there. John, my goodness. And I can read it now that I had that surgery. You know. And he's a white guy. <laughs> so, you know, try to break out and sit by somebody you don't know. Bring them into your group. Find out about them. And you'll find out when people find the Lord and you've been nice to them, they'll bring their friends. And they'll help you to touch people in ways that are amazing. So in the book you got, and I know I've just darted around, but is this stuff hard to do? Not at all. I think it's hard to go to a door and knock on the door and say, we're here from Port View and we want to talk to you about our church and Jesus. I mean, that does, I mean, it, it's tough. But, well, one thing I did it for a long time, is, uh, and I learned this early on in my ministry when I, when I, <clears throat> I did it in Salt Lake, I did it in Merrill, Wisconsin. We didn't have anybody, so I just, I went, I went and knocked on doors and said, I'm looking for people that don't go to church. 
It's interesting. People would say, I don't know if they go over there. I'm not sure if they go. I'm thinking to myself, if you know they don't go, you probably don't go, right? And if you get people to help you, then they'll listen to you a little bit more. But I, I started doing this in Salt Lake, knocking on door and just introducing myself in the general vicinity of our church. And I go to Oregon to pastor the People's Church. Guy had become the district superintendent, a, a pretty large Assembly of God church, big parking lot and all that stuff. And uh, so I get settled in the church, get my office set up. So for a couple of hours every week, I'd get in my car, I'd pull into a neighborhood and say, hi, I'm the new pastor at People's Church. I just want to get to go our neighborhood. You know what I mean? So, okay, I pull out of the parking lot that, pack, that parks probably seven, 800 cars, pull out, turn left, and then right next to the church property is a driveway, and I pull in the driveway, and I go up to the door, and I knock on the door. And this lady comes to the door, and she has twin daughters, and they're sort of standing behind her. She's wondering, you know, if I'm selling anything. And I said, I, I, I'm the new pastor at People's Church, and I just wanted to introduce myself. She said, oh, Really? She said, we've lived here seven years. No one from that church has ever invited us. And I said, really? And she said, could you come back and talk to my husband and I? And we're having some problems. And Oh, I said, I'd love to. I went back that night, led them both to Christ. Those two girls were in Dale Oquist Youth Group in my church just because I knocked on their door and said hi. And I... And, and, and a lot of times, I mean, oh, the people will say, well, I go to this church. Oh, that's fine. I just wanted to meet people. But I'm telling you what, when you pray and you ask for the, you know, anointing. And in a different state, if you've if you're got people living down the block you haven't met, just say, hi, I'm David, and I live eight houses down, and I just want to get find out who our neighbors are and have a great day. Thanks. You know what I mean? And get good grass. They'll ask you how you did your grass. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's a... It, it's so, so, it's shocking to me. And all the churches that I'm in, I look at their website. And I, I search for what is their plan to reach the lost? You'll find plans on how to youth, young couples, music, midweek services, all, all good stuff. But very few of them have, and here's what we do to reach people outside of the walls. Back to Mark Batterson's story about seeing the people in the zoo and then seeing the people out doing what they should be doing or the animals where they were meant to be. And you know where you were meant to be? This should just be where you come and get spiritually refreshed and then God sends you out, right? Uh, Do you have any questions? Any questions? We covered it all. What I want to do to close this way, I'd like you, if you're physically able, to stand and come to the front. I know your pastor's heart as a missionary. And, you know, we've, we've talked a little bit. I met with him. He's got a buddy up in Sheboygan, Derek, who's a friend of mine, too. Come on up. And <clears throat> um, he, it isn't, I mean, I don't think he would have been here 10 years if he was looking for some promotion to a better opportunity. He's here because he loves God, loves the church. And you know what? Missions is great. But you know, when you go on a missions trip, you normally get convicted. You see people that are doing stuff. And you, you're looking, man, I, I'm, you know, what am I doing? And I believe in missions. Back in Oregon, we did a million four one year for missions. That was a lot of money. 
They were big on missions. And we should be big on missions. But we should be big on our Jerusalem. Right? Do you agree? So how many of us say, you know, Pastor Arnie? You can call me Arnie. I'm not your pastor. It's a, a moniker I carry. Would you, uh, would you say, have any of you been stirred enough to say, you know, this makes sense. I can do this. You know, I, I, I want to... Not that you don't love the Lord. I'm, I'm sure most of you do. But you know, there's times that we need to pray, honestly, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. You know, when I got saved, I felt, I felt so free. I didn't care my girlfriend cut me loose. I didn't care that my friends thought I was crazy. I had one friend tell me, oh, you went to that church, they brainwashed you. I said, you're right, Dick. I had a dirty old brain, needed a good old washing. <laughs> right? But if I can do it, you can do it. God can make you to become something you never imagined. Never imagined. And, and your pastor has a heart, not only for the missions over there, overseas, but he has a missions heart for the port washing, whatever this place is called as far as the colony or whatever. And you see, they need Jesus bad. Drugs, abuse, I mean, that stuff's going on in your neighborhoods, and you need to be God's hand. How many say, I'm going to put my hand, I can, I can, God can use me. Put your hand up, and I'm going to pray. Father, I don't know how many people are here right now, but this group, that group that turned Europe upside down in five years or so, this group can turn this area up, can touch their neighborhood, touch their family, touch their workplace, touch their care home. And Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you will irritate something in them and around that irritation will form a pearl of great price as they reach the lost. I thank you for Pastor Mark. I thank you for the staff. I thank you for everybody here. Lord, let us work hard in here so that we can be great 